Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. I am hoping that you're going to take a lot away from this episode because we're going to be talking about the signs that you might look for or might notice that you should take a break from alcohol. I know in all the years that I was drinking, there were many, many signs that I had an issue with alcohol or that alcohol was impacting my life negatively. And for many years, I was completely oblivious to them. I didn't know that waking up at 3 a.m. were related to drinking too much. I didn't know that my anxiety was related to that. There were lots of little signs along the way that I didn't understand. And so my guest today is Janet Gorond. She is the founder of Tribe Sober. She lives in South Africa and spent many years as a corporate working mom in both Europe and South Africa, where she came home at the end of the day and drank a bottle of wine or more a night, just like I did. 
She runs a membership community and workshop for women and men all over the world with Tribe Sober. And Janet and I are going to talk about all those signs that you may not even notice that you should take a look at your drinking and may want to take a break. So Janet, welcome on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Casey. It's lovely to talk to you. Yeah, I'm so excited you're here. And I'm really glad we're able to have this conversation because I know for a very long time when I was worrying about my drinking, loved it, desperately didn't want to stop. I spent a long time debating whether I just abused alcohol or whether I was actually a quote unquote alcoholic and actually had it to stop. And that was literally my worst case scenario. And I know for a long time, I was drinking way too much and sort of oblivious, blaming anxiety and insomnia and everything else on other things. I thought a lot about the way I was drinking was normal. And I also didn't notice as I was consuming more and more, what were some of the signs that this was becoming more problematic. And I think that might be true for a lot of women listening to this podcast. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is, Casey. Um, yeah, I, I really uh, identify with you when you said you you wanted to just keep your drinking in control so you would never have to give it up completely. That was That's the worst case scenario, isn't it? Because I just couldn't imagine my life without alcohol. So I wasted. I mean, I always say that I spent 10 years in the moderation trap, as I call it now, because I couldn't face the thought of life with no alcohol. I ended up trying to cut down and I made all the rules and I failed all the rules and I went round and round and I had these voices in my head, you know, that were saying, um, you've, got, you've got to do something about your drinking. And then other voices which would say, but how are you going to have fun? You're going to lose all your friends. So that that 10 years and, it, and if I could give somebody what, what does she do? Opera, she says things I, I wish I knew when I was younger. Yeah. <laughs> if I could give someone a tip, it would say, if you've got to the stage where your drinking is on your mind, don't don't bother with cutting down. Don't bother with moderation, because the chances are that you can't, you know, just ditch the stuff, do the work and go on to create a beautiful new life, because I, I wasted a, a decade in that place. Yeah. And you're kind of in the purgatory place, right? And a lot of it is just wanting to hold on to drinking so much that you really are prioritizing that and not just drinking, but trying to control your drinking or moderate your drinking or worrying about it over 90% of other things that could capture your mind and your imagination. And I mean, I get it, right? We were both there. Nobody who loves to drink wants to give it up. But I think that if you can just say, okay, instead of moderating this time, I'm going to set a goal for a longer period of time, continuously alcohol-free. So instead of trying to drink two times a week or just on the weekends or two drinks a night, just say, all right, I'm going to start out and go 30 plus days without alcohol and see how good you feel and do the work while you're doing it. It's going to be easier. You're going to get so much more out of it and you're going to shift your perspective on what life without alcohol is like. 
Absolutely. I mean, we run challenges at the moment here in South Africa. It's spring. So we're running our sober spring challenge. We've done it every year for four years now. And it's 66 days without alcohol. Um, we say to people so that, you know, they don't feel pressurized. Just see how many alcohol free days you can manage out of 66. And many people do manage the full 66. And then they say things like, well, I feel pretty amazing. I think I'm going to try for 100. Yeah. And I'm more and more convinced that's the way to do it. You know, don't think I'm never having another drink or don't think, oh, I'm going to cut down. Just just go for a an alcohol free period. Just be yeah. sober curious. You know, how is your life going to look and feel? It's probably going to feel worse at the beginning and then it'll get better. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm currently reading a book called dopamine nation, because I'm interviewing the author Anna Lemke soon. And she talks about how every time we drink, it just spikes this dopamine in your brain. But then your body compensates, So you're basically navigating life with a dopamine deficit. And that's why you feel like garbage. And so you actually have to get away from the alcohol to feel normal. And I only say that because um, you mentioned that you'll probably feel worse for a little while, which the first two weeks, maybe three weeks are the absolute hardest. And then you start to feel all the benefits of optimism and um, happiness and peacefulness and all the good stuff. So you're right. I mean, I completely agree with you. If you're sober curious, if you feel like this drinking cycle is getting you down it's a really great time to not try to moderate or cut back or not drink tonight, but to give yourself the opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to take a break completely for a while and see how my body feels. Yeah. And one of the most tedious things about starting on this journey is the friends, isn't it? They all say, oh, you're a bit boring. You know, what are you going to do that for? And you don't have a problem, which in brackets means you drink as much as me. So you don't have a problem. But uh, it's so much easier just to say, oh, I'm taking a break from the booze for a while. You know, I've been feeling a bit tired and uh, I'm just going to see, uh, try, try a month or even two without alcohol. And then they'll they'll get off your case. If you put it across as a health kick, really, rather than saying, oh, I'm so worried about my drinking, yes. because then they'll try and talk you out of it. Yes. But say you're on a health kick. And then when they, they start audit you again in a couple of months, you say, well, I did that no alcohol thing and I feel amazing. So I'm just going to carry on for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I think that's the way to do it. I think. Yes. I think that is the easiest way for not only your friends, but also yourself to wrap your head around this and to do it without shame and without blame, because it really is a health choice. But yeah. let's talk about all the reasons, sort of that, like whisper on your shoulder in the back of your mind, the things that women might be noticing that they're worried about their drinking, right? That's why they're listening to this podcast. That's why they're tapped into this community. But they're like, mm, maybe this isn't a big deal. Or maybe um, I, you know, they're debating, do I need to stop? Do I not need to stop? So I thought we could just go back and forth and, and talk about all the things that we noticed in the early days, sort of the subtle signs. Um, and then also what we see with the clients and the women and men we work with, because there are, you know, I call it like a death of a thousand cuts, all the things that build up 
that are sort of like the mini red flags before you have any big rock bottom where you're like, oh, shoot, I really can't drink anymore. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. Yeah, well, I think the rules are, are massive once you start thinking, oh, you know, I need to cut down a little bit. So so perhaps I'll, one of my favorites was I'll only drink when I go out and I won't have any alcohol in the house. So uh, practically every evening I'd say to my husband, well, there's a new restaurant down the road. <laughs> Let's go out for a spot of dinner tonight. <laughs> any excuse, you know, just to, to break, well, to keep within the rules in that case, but to have a drink. So I think rules are a big one. And I come across that with my, with my clients a lot. You know, they've made the rules. And once you start making rules, that's that's a mini red flag. Yeah. I mean, I did that too. I I don't know any woman who gets to the point where they're questioning their drinking, where they haven't spent sometimes years trying to quote unquote moderate. And you may not even realize that you're doing it. So I did the same thing. I did the, I'm only going to drink when I'm out, which like you, I just found a reason to go out like four days a week. Right. I was like, Oh, I don't feel like cooking dinner or I'll, you know, let's just hit this spot. And, you know, when I was trying to quit drinking, I had a five-year-old and then later an eight-year-old. So I was taking my five-year-old out to eat four times a week, which is ridiculous in retrospect. (laughs) It's adorable. He got very good at eating like the boom noodles, like the Asian noodle (laughs) place that had great red wine. But um, I would only drink when I was out. Then separate rule, I would only drink when I was in you know, so I wouldn't like drink and have two or three and then worry about driving. I often tried to switch to beer or to white wine because red wine was my jam. So I basically would buy alcohol that wasn't my favorite. Yeah. Um, and then of course the, I'm only going to have two glasses or I'm going to drink water in between each wine or only drink on the weekends. I mean, all of that stuff is a big sign that it would be easier or better for you to just take it off the table for a period of time and see how you feel. Yeah. The, the choosing a a wine you don't like, because I was a white wine girl. So I thought, right, I'm going to switch to red wine, first of all, because I don't like it much. And secondly, because 
red wine is good for me. Yes, right. <laughs> you know, Which we've is all, we've crap. all read that one article that has justified our drinking. So, that was sponsored yeah, by the yeah. by the alcohol industry. Of course, it was. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, but I think one thing we should recognize as well when we start making those rules is that we're actually in the contemplation stage. You know, for any change, you have to go through a number of of stages. And stage one, well, stage one is pre-contemplation, and that's when you haven't even thought about not drinking or thought about your drinking at all. And then uh, the next stage is contemplation, when you are a bit worried, but you certainly don't think, I'm going to give up drinking. And then gradually you go through the stages and you get into action and and then, you know, you have to, yeah. have to stick with it. So just just if you are in that stage of making rules, just accept that you're you're actually contemplating taking a break. Yeah, That's you're the on step. the path. You are on mm. the path. I mean, so many women struggle with this and never take an honest look at alcohol or how it's working in their lives. And so I think that a lot of women, it takes them a number of years to go back and forth on alcohol and, and whether or not it's serving them and experimentation before they decide that life is better without it. And Janet, I think you and I were talking about the one thing that we both wish is that we had not wasted quite so many years in that really hard and painful place. We didn't realize yeah. how much better life would be, how much more energy and joy and peace we would have in our lives when we were trying to cling so hard to drinking. So be proud of yourself for listening to this and do yourself a favor and, you know, don't spend as much time debating as we did because life really is better on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. That's my only regrets that I didn't do it much, much earlier. Yeah. So making uh, rules for yourself about drinking, that's a huge one. Another one that I did not realize was associated with drinking for the longest time was the wake-ups at 2 or 3 a.m. For me, I did that. I remember I did that, I mean, long before my son was born. Um, And I would wake up in the middle of the night. I would have a racing mind, uh, lots of anxiety. I would be really worried about, oh my God, if I don't fall back to sleep, I'm not going to be able to function in the morning at work. And I did not realize it was associated with the wine I was drinking at night. I went to my therapist or my doctor and told them I was having insomnia and that work stress was getting to me. So if you are waking up or 2 or 3 a.m., that is a huge sign that you should take a look at your drinking or take a break from drinking because it is completely associated with your alcohol consumption. Yeah, yeah. And I I would also say if you're in therapy for your anxiety and those wake-up calls then and you do drink, then try a couple of months without alcohol and you might find that your anxiety uh, decreases dramatically. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is huge. I mean, another sign that that I think is like you're feeling more anxious, right? Because alcohol absolutely makes anxiety worse. And, you know, it's like the chicken and the egg, right? Because we drink because we're anxious and then yeah. drinking makes anxiety worse. But you're right. If you're in therapy dealing with your anxiety and you drink, removing alcohol is one of the best things you can do to lessen anxiety. And often the therapists don't go there because it's it's like the elephant in the room. 
Yeah. Well, here, I just thought of another one, which is you lie or minimize your drinking to your therapist and your doctor. For me, I mean, the standard answer is right. Oh, do you drink or you're filling up for them? You're like a couple of drinks, a couple nights a week. Like that for me was, you know, yeah. it wasn't a bottle and a half, seven nights a week. <laughs> yeah, apparently the doctors are so used to that that they just double it automatically. <laughs> yeah, but even if they doubled a couple of drinks, a couple nights yeah, a week, that wouldn't come that. close to what I was drinking. <laughs> I think another um, red light, certainly I had that, was uh, when you have no off switch. You know, once you start drinking, that, that's it, really. The bets are off, even if you promised yourself, because it's a rule that you're only having two glasses of wine that night. You know, you, you swallow four and then come home and have another one. You know, the next yeah. morning, three o'clock in the morning, you wake up thinking, oh, you know, because... Yeah, I, I don't know about you, Casey, but my self-esteem would just hit the floor every time I didn't keep to my rules. I'd think, yeah. God, I'm so useless. I've got no willpower. But of course, now I understand it's not much to do with willpower. It's about how you see alcohol. Once you realize it adds nothing but trouble to your life, then yeah. uh, you, you can let it go. Yeah. I mean, the idea of no off switch, that's that's a huge sign because for me, I mean, my husband, and this was long before I even thought of stopping, he'd just be like, yeah, you just drink until it's gone. Or you, he was so kind to me, fell asleep, right? Which was <laughs> pass out. Like if sure. I've never had a glass of wine in my entire life, like it, you know, it was always more is more and more is better. So, um, yeah, no off switch. That's a huge sign that you would be well served by just taking a break as opposed to trying to moderate longer. The other thing that I would say in turn that sort of goes along with no off switch is the idea of always having one eye on the booze or on the bottle, um, meaning that you're sort of constantly aware of how much alcohol is around for you to consume. Yeah. I know that for a long time when I would go to restaurants with my husband or with friends, I literally would calculate, like I would have two glasses of wine and dinner would be winding down and they would be about to come with the, the dessert menu or the check. And I would be like watching the waitress trying to figure out if I could signal her to order another glass of wine before it became weird. Like that was like 60% of my brain. Oh. Only 40% was on the conversation. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I identify with, with that, Casey. I would go into a restaurant and I'd, uh, well, before I'd said a large glass of uh, Sauvignon Blanc, please, before I'd even sat down, I'd be looking for the wine waiter and he'd come over or she'd come over and we'd have a debate about what wine we were going to order and I'd make eye contact, you know, a bit of small talk. And that person for me was the most important person in the room. And I'd always, you know, think, oh, right, she's over there now. And I'd be looking at the bottle, obviously, do we need, is everybody all right? And I'd be looking at everyone's glasses as well. And, you know, were they drinking more than me? <laughs> Not usually. And how has that one only got one glass? So, yeah. you know, it hasn't it hasn't moved all night. How do people do that? Or you're worried, like you're calculating if everybody's drinking, like we got to order another bottle, you know, yeah. like this isn't enough. And 
are they going to want to, or how do I position it in a casual way? I know that (laughs) my husband usually drank beer and if not, his second choice was white wine, but every once in a while I would open up a bottle of red and he'd be like, Oh, I'll have some of that. And I would literally be upset because (laughs) if he took a glass of it, then that wouldn't be quote unquote enough. Right. So then I was going to have to open another bottle of wine and I'd be like, now you're making it look weird. You know, like I was like (laughs) irritated at him. And I mean, that's a huge sign. If you are really aware and care about how much you're going to be able to drink, is there enough? Is it weird? Can I order another one? Like you don't even realize how much better you're going to feel when you don't have to do that anymore. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48, so if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Yeah, and how you can actually participate and enjoy the conversation a little bit more because yeah. you're not preoccupied. And we did you used to do yeah. the uh, dessert as as wine <gasps> trick? You know, they come and they yes. say, desserts, let's, let's take your order. And I'll say, oh, you know, I, I don't really do desserts. I'll just have another glass of wine. Oh my God, I did that all the time. Or like I went through a phase where I would like start ordering port or the dessert wines, thinking that this was like really sophisticated. My parents, right after they got married, they were in the foreign service and they were based in Portugal. So they were very into port. So we would go out to restaurants and be like, oh yes, I'd like the port really just want to consume more alcohol. And I love how we're like, oh, no, no dessert for me. Like, it's this amazing thing. Yeah, I always felt very sophisticated saying that. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, alcohol has so much sugar in it. It's it's crazy. But yeah, all those tricks. Like, I even used to joke like, oh, I consume my calories in wine. Yeah, me too. That's like, those are the little signs that for a long time, you're not even aware of. Like you may make a joke out of some of these things or, or have these habits and not realize that they're all signals of the amount of mind space and heart space and, and just the importance that alcohol consumption is taking on in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think another big sign is 
when you think about your activities and what you do with your spare time, if they all seem to revolve around alcohol like mine did, I think that's a bit of a warning sign. I always used to say, uh, you know, people might talk about their hobbies and I'd say, oh, well, I'm very social. You know, my, my hobbies are socializing, by which, of course, I meant drinking wine with my friends. And yeah. your life actually gets a little bit smaller and smaller over the years. And the sign of a true alcoholic is, you know, they, they won't be interested in anything that doesn't involve drinking and their life will get smaller and smaller until they'll need to drink just to feel normal. So, yeah. you know, nobody wants to go to that sad place and, and the road with the rules, that's, you know, a step along that road, isn't it? There's well, so many people that are almost alcoholics, as I always call it. And I always say alcoholism is a spectrum. You know, you have the non-drinker at one end and the alcoholic, meaning the poor old man in the park, you know, that's homeless with his bottle, he's lost everything. Because that's how society sees an alcoholic. But in the middle of those two extremes, that's where most of us sit. You know, millions and millions of people are on that spectrum. And some of us were edging dangerously towards the alcoholic end because we're so skilled at holding it all together, you know, and putting on this superwoman act. Nobody dreams that we have a problem. Well, and I think that part of this is just the idea that there is this spectrum, right, of alcohol use disorder or of gray area drinking, that there are the portion of society who actually can, quote unquote, take it or leave it or drink very rarely is very small. And most of the people in this world who drink drink increasingly heavily over time, right? That is the way alcohol is designed. It's designed to make you dependent on it, to get you to consume more, to get you to consume more often. And when you pair that with our society and our culture, where alcohol is celebrated and available 24 seven at every event, it is almost inevitable that you are going to consume more and more often. And just know that I think the idea that I'm not an alcoholic. I don't want to be in that category. Keeps a lot of people drinking for many, many years when it is not helping them live their best life. So I love this conversation because anyone can decide that drinking is not helping them live their best life. And they're, you know, I'm so glad. I wish I'd stopped earlier, but I'm so glad I stopped when I did. Because if I was drinking a bottle or a bottle and a bit more of wine a night, 365 nights a year, when my son was eight, I can't even imagine what my life would look like, what my relationship with him would look like 10 years out when he was 18. I mean, he may not even want to bring his friends home to hang out at dinner if I was drinking that much 10 years out. And so... I just realized that life is so much better without it, but you can decide to stop drinking at any point and experiment being alcohol-free. And like the wine is going to be there, right? If you take a hundred days off, it's not like the wine's going to be taken away and it will be unavailable to you, but you likely will decide that you don't want to go back to it because life is better without it. Yeah, yeah. I think we we need to get curious, don't we? Let's just um, think about different lifestyles. You know, we, we become vegetarians and 
we're not surrounded by people saying, oh, go on, just have one steak. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's a bit of a, a tough choice, but um, it's it's so worth just taking a break. Well, and I love that you said that a sign is that all the activities seem to revolve around alcohol. And I think that's, it's so common and it's the chicken and the egg, right? Because drinkers surround themselves with drinkers and we like to drink. So we involve alcohol in most things we do. So, you know, I used to do a lot of like happy hours after work with colleagues. I did our anniversary weekends. We're always at wine tasting weekends, football games, had a lot of beer. I mean, there is always a reason to drink. But yeah, if all of your activities involve alcohol, it's it's really hard to break away from it. And it's a sign. The other thing I would say a sign is, is if you are annoyed, if events don't include alcohol, and I know this was me, like if I went to a baby shower and there was no alcohol served, I'd be like, what she doesn't drink doesn't mean that we don't like, what the heck? That's one person out of 20. So that would be really irritating to me. Another thing that was like, I did not realize this was a huge sign, but when my son was a newborn, I joined a group for early parent support where they paired us with like eight other parents of newborns. And we met once a week for 12 weeks and our kids, I mean, they were infants, right? And we went to the first gathering and it was five to 7 p.m on a weeknight and no alcohol was served. And I was so irritated. I was like, it's after work. We've got these babies. We need to still have fun. Like they were like serving us like diet Cokes and, and, you know, goldfish. And I was just like, I don't, I can't do this for 12 weeks. So of course I offered to host the next gathering at my house with like all the wine and beer to kind of demonstrate how these (laughs) should go. To set the tone. To set the tone. <laughs> but like we were sitting around with like two month olds. Like, why would we possibly need a party to talk about sleepless nights and teething and all that stuff? I mean, yeah. huge sign that I was yeah. so annoyed that the event wasn't going to include drinking, that I didn't even want to go two hours after work. And yet I did not realize it as at the time as a problem. Yeah, yeah. And I think the way that we convince ourselves, well, everybody drinks a lot. So I've got a nice story. One of my tribe sober colleagues that he helps me to run the workshops these days. But uh, I met him when he came to a workshop because he had a problem. And uh, he's he's stopped now and he sees his old life, obviously, much more clearly. And he's got his own company, you know, a small company. And like many companies in South Africa, uh, they have a fridge, you know, they have all the booze, a, a big fridge and the employees can just go and help themselves to whatever they want. Once it gets to about four o'clock, you know, and there's this quite a big drinking session on Fridays. And he said, I still remember him at this workshop, it was five years ago. And he said, oh, he said, you know, our company where it's very boozy, you know, it's investment banking and that's just how it is. And, you know, I don't know how I'm going to cope. That's going to be my biggest fear because I would ask them what their fears were. And these days uh, he said that what happened was, you know, he stopped and he told his colleagues and whatever. And he said, but, you know, don't mind me, (laughs) the booze is there, just carry on as before. 
but he noticed that the bill for booze was going down and down and down. And what it was is he was setting the tone, you know, he, and and the, because he was the boss, you know, the other people thought, oh, well, I'd better have a drink with him, you know, and otherwise my career's going nowhere, this kind of thing. So yes. uh, that's so that's just such a typical story, isn't it? Because we want to convince ourselves that it's part of the denial mm-hmm. that everybody drinks as much as I do. And very often they don't. I know. And a lot of times you're not even aware of that until you stop. Yeah. Yeah. Here's another one. I don't know if you experienced this, but like you're very aware or embarrassed or conscious of your recycling. Was that something you noticed? (laughs) Uh, It wasn't a huge one for me, but I hear it a lot, you know, on the on on our workshops and and also what about the cashiers when when you go and buy your booze and you think I better not go there tonight because I went there last night yes I remember explaining once that oh I'm having a bit of a party oh my god I always think (laughs) oh yes so both first I would say embarrassed about recycling that was for me because you know if you drink so at least seven bottles a week, sometimes more. So maybe I had 10 bottles of wine in my recycling every week. That is a lot. That shit's heavy. So I would like drink a bottle of wine, put it in my recycling, put newspapers on top of it. So like it wouldn't be obvious that there were four bottles in there. Um, I would like try to take the recycling out myself so that my husband wouldn't do it. Um, you know, these are all the small things that you're like, this, there's no issue here. I just don't want him to be judgy about it or, you know, so that's like, I think an early psychological sign, or I would like pour myself a glass and then I would put the bottle like behind the coffee maker sort of to hide it from myself. So like all these little tricks, but you're right about the cashier. So I would go to the grocery store and then in the U S you buy six bottles of wine and you get a 10% discount. Like they give you a little carrying bag. And so I would always just make this sort of awkward small talk with the cashier, like, Oh, got to get the discount or, Oh, having people over. I mean, I bought six bottles of wine every single week. So I don't know who I was trying to kid, but you know, you would almost feel like you had to make these little jokes about it because clearly it was something that you felt uncomfortable with right yeah yeah and uh, what about the bruises did you ever get bruises we used myself and some of my girlfriends you know we we got the bruises and we used to we gave them a name we called them udis unidentified drinking incidents oh my god we must have banged ourselves somehow and and you know you'd wake up and you think oh I don't remember doing that because, of course, you didn't feel a thing, probably. Yeah. So, uh, so tell that's... me about that. You would you would just sort of wake up and identify like, ooh. Yeah. What happened there? <laughs> and and then you just shrug it off and forget about it. Well, I did a lot of um, like tripping at <laughs> like I remember going tripping. on a business yeah. trip oh, yeah. Yeah. with L'Oreal <laughs> and out to dinner with the whole team and like, you know, every one of these signs, just name it, very concerned about how much everyone was drinking. Could I pour myself another glass? Could I signal the waitress? Could we be like, hey, we're having such a great bonding 
experience. Let's go to the bar for one more before we head back. And then walking home and like tripping and trying to play it off or skinning my knee. I mean, and trying to be like, oh God, these heels on these cobblestone <laughs> streets. I mean, just all the excuses and defensiveness and stuff. But yeah, bruises, tripping, yeah. embarrassing yeah. moments, that dropping yeah. things, right? Yeah, yeah, we just get so clumsy. And the yeah. uh, the blackouts, I mean, the blackouts were no laughing matter for me, though. They were extremely serious towards the end of my drinking career. And, and that's what made me change. But uh, throughout my drinking, uh, I would have the, you know, those blurry end of evening blackouts. Uh, I'd wake up in the morning and the first thing I would look for is where's my jacket, where's my phone, where's my handbag? And they were always there, but I, I had no memory of bringing them back, you know, because you kind of go on automatic pilot. And thank goodness, you know, I never drove. Although and here in South Africa, I was quite shocked by the number of people that drink and drive and don't think anything of it. But because I was brought up in the UK, they're so strict there, you kind of brainwash that you never do that. But yeah, the, the end of the evening always a bit blurry you know how, how how did I get oh yes it was a taxi or so and so brought me home or yeah, yeah. Was... well I remember getting I mean you know at a work party at a work holiday gathering um of course the the night got fuzzier as I went on it was at my CEO's house hi there if you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one day at a time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time and I would love to see you in the course. And my boss, who was the VP of marketing, ended up taking me home because I couldn't drive. And the next morning, I was like, where's my phone? Where's my phone? I finally did find my phone 
you know, the app on the Apple thing. And it was where her house is, which is a good 40 minutes from where I live. I, she didn't even know the phone was in her backseat. And so that, you know, again, super embarrassing, right? A went to a work party. I was a director. I was married. I had kids like this is ridiculous. Um, Couldn't drive home. Boss had to drive me home. Lost my phone. I don't even want to know what I was like in the car. And then just the overcompensation of trying to somehow play it off like this is normal or okay or no big deal and worrying what you might have said or done or how it looks like it is exhausting. But yeah, yeah, waking up in the morning, making sure you have your stuff, like that you have enough, um, that you brought everything home. The other thing is, what about rolling over and checking your texts or your Facebook (laughs) posts or anything to be like, dude, what did I say or do at the end of the night? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely did some of that. And and one of my big ones was um, wondering why my husband was just, you know, a little bit cool in the morning or or even worse, extremely sulky for the whole day and not wanting to ask him because I I just didn't want to know, basically. And overcompensating, you know, being really nice. And Oh, my God. I had that all the time. I actually had my husband on the podcast And we did two interviews about our relationship, drinking and not drinking and what he noticed um, because he never told me to stop. And we didn't really talk about it that much, but I used to roll over in the morning and he would be like, how do you feel? And I would be like, what a dick, like even asking that because it felt loaded. It felt passive aggressive. Obviously, I felt like garbage, but I didn't want him to know that because that would call into question my drinking. So I'd be like, what? I'm fine. I'm good. Like, I wouldn't look at him too closely. I wouldn't want to engage. There was just all this tension and defensiveness and, yeah, overcompensating. So, yeah, yeah, I think if your partner in the morning is cold or distant or you're feeling defensive, like you're trying to um, evaluate what happened the night before to figure out whether you need to make up for something big sign and it's exhausting yeah 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 we were talking before weren't we about the exhaustion of it all and holding it all together and pretending that everything's fine whereas inside we're we're deeply worried and then when we do quit we we use all that energy for to create a completely new life I always say we need to create a life we don't want to escape from yes because somehow when we're drinking like that we're escaping and and you you said it didn't you in another interview that um it was only when you gave up drinking that you realized that maybe you know you'd done enough of the corporate thing it was time for a change whereas if you carried on drinking you probably never would have really had that realization yeah yeah I definitely wouldn't have because I was just trying to get through the day and I thought that drinking was helping me and then I also first I thought drinking was helping me cope with my life and then I thought that the fact that I couldn't cope with life was the alcohol's fault right so it flipped from one to the other So I felt like, why can everyone else manage this corporate job and the pressure and life and kids? And I can't, 
So I blamed myself. And, you know, one of the amazing things about stopping drinking is that you can actually separate all of that stuff from each other, piece it apart and be like, okay, this part of my life is way better now that I stopped drinking, right? My anxiety is less, I'm less rushed. I can remember more, I'm more energetic, I'm sharper, I'm more clear. And it's not that everyone else can handle this job and this life and whatever. It's that the way this is being set up is intolerable and not good enough. And I need to shift some things about the way I've you know, set up my life so that I can be happier. So it's not either or it's sort of all of the, all of the above. And you just can't figure it out when you're drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, alcohol saps our energy and our motivation. And we find that in our community, you know, it was such a a familiar pattern for all of us. We get home from work, we open the wine, switch on the TV, and that was the evening taken care of. But but now, you know, people are, are just doing such interesting stuff and they're getting creative and they're, you know, meeting new people. And we, we just kind of get our mojo back, don't we? <laughs> yeah. So I think you just touched on something. You know, we talked about an increase in anxiety as being a, a sign an early sign, a subtle sign that alcohol may be an issue. Another one is your energy, right? If you just feel so tired and like you don't have as much energy as you used to, that you're sluggish, maybe that you're less effective at work, that you're just kind of holding it together, that can be a a good sign that you should take a break from drinking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a bit older than you and uh, I, I just feel like I've been given a second lease of life you know I feel completely different to how I would have felt I'm sure if I'd carried on drinking you know and if there is anybody a little bit older listening to this I would say it's it's absolutely one of the best things you can do as you get more mature because um, I mean the health risks are just massive you know as you get older I've, I've had breast cancer and I'm convinced that's linked with my decades of heavy drinking many women in our community have had breast cancer and the the evidence is stacking up you know the link is proven now so mm-hmm. it's it's dangerous stuff especially for us women you know and drinking a bottle a night that's seven bottles a week and the this the low risk limits are a bottle and a half a week and but they're very hard to stick to you know it means just drinking one glass and I always said well if that's all I can drink I'm not really bothered it's not worth it I'd rather ditch the stuff yeah yeah and I think that even those low risk limits are increasingly being disproven, right? I mean, the American Cancer Society, I mean, way too little, too late, finally admitted that the only consumption of alcohol that does not impact your cancer risk, it's actually zero. You know, for years, they held on to the one glass of wine a night for women, two for men. And that actually is not not true. Um, There's just such a heavy alcohol lobby. So you know, I get it when I was drinking, I did not want to hear this at all. And I also was like, you know, vices, everybody's got one. I don't smoke, I work out, I do all these things. So I like to drink so what and I get that. But the idea that it's healthy and fine just isn't true. Right. So just, just, um, you know, it, it bothered me for years, once I stopped drinking that the medical community was not being honest 
about it at all, you know, in the same way that they are about smoking and the risk to that. I think I mentioned to you, but Catherine Gray, who wrote The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, told me about a 2019 study that came out of the UK that uh, showed that the cancer risk of drinking a bottle of wine for women is the equivalent of smoking 10 cigarettes for women. And for men, the equivalent of drinking a bottle of wine is the same as the cancer risk of smoking four cigarettes for men. So first, it's significantly worse for women, just in terms of the way our body metabolizes alcohol. But additionally, you know, I think so many women out there would be like, oh my God, I would never, ever smoke 10 cigarettes. Like that's crazy. And yet we're consuming that or more daily, seven days a week. Yeah, I mean, this information has just got to come out into the public domain now, because the really shocking thing is in 1988, the World Health Organization uh, produced a, a study that that proved that alcohol was a carcinogen, you know, and, and that's been buried. And because there's so much advertising alcohol in the media, you know, the information isn't getting out there. And finally, you know, I sense that it is getting out a little bit more, but we need, you know, alcohol needs to have a cigarette moment because once we realized that that cigarettes gave us lung cancer, most of us thought, well, I'm over them then. Yeah. Well, so in terms of early science and subtle science that you might have an issue with drinking or you could benefit from taking a break, one that I had very, very early on was others making comments about how much you drank. And I think Saturday Night Live did this skit recently with A.D. Bryant that was so spot on. And it was, you know, her birthday party in the skit and everyone was giving her these little, you know, kitschy wooden signs with sayings on them referring to her drinking. But I had that for years, right? People would give me corkboard kits that you used wine bottle, um, you know, the wine stoppers to make the kit. Or for uh, Christmas, people would give me the rabbit, right? The um, the quick opener of the wine bottles, right? The powered ones, so you could you could open your wine bottle really really quickly. People would give me wine charms. People would comment on how much I drank, like just be like, oh, well, Casey's going to for sure have this. Or, you know, it was just, you know how some, this was like my grandfather, he golfed and like every damn gift anyone ever gave him was something about golfing because nobody could think of anything else. Like every gift I got or a big part of it was related to drinking. And that's a big sign. Yeah, because it's become part of your identity, And I was the same. I just used to convince myself, oh, I'm the life and soul of the party. You know, that's just how I am. But now that I don't drink, and after all these years, I've started to get to know myself better. And I'm actually more of an introvert than an extrovert. And I love spending time on my own and reading and doing walking in nature by the sea. You know, I don't really want to go to parties and be the telling jokes anymore. So it yeah. uh, helps you get in touch with yourself. But yeah, definitely the 
I, I always remember a friend saying to me, and I, I laughed, but I was quite hurt. He said, "Oh, I met I met this woman the other day. You'll really like her. She's she's great fun. She drinks until she falls over. <laughs> You're going to get on so well with her." And I oh, thought, oh, "I know, <laughs> right? Is that how I'm perceived?" <laughs> yes, and like others commenting on how much you drink, I remember. Even, you know, there are stories, of course, of, of so many women whose kids go to kindergarten and they draw a picture of their mom and mom's holding a wine glass or, you know, what's your mom's favorite drink and it's wine. I mean, that is super common. But I remember when my son was two or three, we were at uh, Christmas with my mother-in-law in Florida and we went to the store and my mother-in-law picked up a bottle of red wine and he said, oh, for mommy? And she said, oh, yes, for mommy and me. And he said, you're going to need another one. <laughs> I mean, in terms of others making comments on how much you yes. drink, yeah, that happens. And that was long before, that was six years before I finally stopped drinking, right? But I was aware of it. The other thing I would say that like follows on that really closely is you're really touchy or defensive about your drinking, right? It's yeah. like people comment on it and you're really touchy about it. I mean, I used to always be like, well, my life is really stressful. It's no big deal. I do everything else. This is my one treat. I used to tell my husband, like, you knew what you were getting into, right? Kind yeah. of thing. Like you married yeah, yeah. me, you knew I was a drinker. <laughs> he was sort of like, I kind of thought you'd grow out of it. Like we met in 22, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, you... yeah, I said I said that as well. I used to say, well, to my husband who was nagging me for years to to stop, but or, or to cut down. No, he never said to stop. He just said cut down. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I, I we have rows about this, obviously, because I would try to cut down and I'd try really hard, but I was just using the willpower, and then the wheels would come off, and we'd have a big fight. And I remember saying to him during one of these fights, you know, that, that it's just who I am. You know, I drink to let my hair down. I drink to relax. It's just, you know, how I am. Yeah. And I was angry and just, you know, trying to justify it and very touchy, as you say. Yeah, justifying it, trying to downplay it. Yeah. Um, trying to make sure people don't notice, blaming it blaming whatever's going on and other stuff like your stress or not feeling well or or trying to pretend you feel fine so no one will mention it just that kind of defensiveness for sure. I used to say oh I don't do hangovers <laughs> such a lie <laughs> yeah yeah I know or you you feel like garbage and you get through it anyway because you don't want anyone to realize it's because you're hungover which yeah. again is like this vicious cycle because sometimes you're just tired and you need to rest. And if you're drinking and you believe that you're tired because you were drinking or that if you rest, people will think that you drank so much, you can't function. You won't allow your body to rest. Right. And then you're just in that cycle of needing wine to like get that energy hit, which then yeah. brings you the crash. So feeling touchy, feeling defensive about your drinking, justifying it, downplaying it, you know, rationalizing and trying to attribute symptoms to something else is a big sign. A lot of signs. Yeah. Well, here's one other one. And this was like, um, classic for me, 
using drinking as a coping mechanism, right? So if you have a horrible day at work or get bad news, I need a drink, you know, like anything that happens, a glass of wine, a drink is your way to cope with it. Sure. And you deserve it. I was always telling myself I deserved a drink, which then turned into six. (laughs) Well, so what, what made you think I deserve to drink? What were all the reasons? Well, if I'd had a a bad day at work or if I'd had a good day, either way, I deserved a drink. It was my ritual. It was the end of the day. That was, that was what I did. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What about if this was me as well, you feel like you've got it all together. You can do anything you set your mind to except getting a handle on this alcohol thing. Did you feel that Yeah, I used to get increasingly angry with myself because I thought, well, you know, I've got this amazing job that I'm holding down and, you know, I know I'm a good mom and marriage is okay apart from the drinking. And, um, you know, why can't I manage the drinking? I'm a strong person. I always achieve my objectives, but why can't I manage this simple thing? So that that used to to drive me mad, yeah, the fact that I couldn't do it. And it was... What's tiring is it's just this nagging voice in your head. And over the years, it gets louder and louder. And then you're fighting, of course, with um, the subconscious, which is saying, but you'll never have fun again. You know, all your friends will ditch you. So you've got this conflict and it's very tiring. And that feels like anxiety as well. And of course, we drink to to drown those voices out. So it's uh, it's really a vicious cycle. Yeah. And it's such a relief to get off that, <laughs> that treadmill. Yes. Yeah. What about um, your serving sizes increasing? (laughs) Like you somehow increasingly get the bigger and bigger glasses of wine, or I would even go to some restaurants and they would ask me like, do you want an, uh, you know, five ounce or an eight ounce? And I'd be like, oh yeah, definitely give me the eight ounce. And then I would still have three. Yeah. Yeah. Well here, I mean, it's, which again is all about the normalization of alcohol. They don't even have small glasses now. You just yeah. get get served a, a huge glass. And I lived in France for a few years because my husband's French. And uh, occasionally, if if you were in like a country town and you went to a small restaurant, they'd bring you really small glasses. And I'd say, "What's this eyewash? You know, <laughs> this yeah. is a glass." <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, when I used to go wine tasting and they'd pour you the tiniest pours, I'd be like, what the hell is this? And whoever spits stuff out, like I've never spit out at a wine tasting in no. my life. That to me was... You are supposed to though. Amazingly, we've got a lady in our community that's given up drinking who is a wine expert. Oh, wow. And she still works as a wine expert and she doesn't drink and she always spits, obviously. But the fact that it doesn't trigger her, I think she's, she's so strong. That's crazy to me, for sure. Yeah. Well, so clearly you're waking up hungover more often. Um, in my mind, you know, so many of us try to limit our drinking, but drinking often more than two glasses a day or drinking every day. I mean, those are really big signs that it's something that's becoming more and more important in your life. What else can you think of? 
Yeah, I think people get obsessed with quantities as well. I mean, obviously, yeah. if you are drinking a bottle a night, it's too much. But I say to people, however much you're drinking, even if it's only a few glasses a week, if you're worried about it, then do something about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, a big sign would be you're listening to a podcast like this, yeah. right? Like that you're... The little switch is off now. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's just, you know, A, be super, super proud of yourself that you're even doing this. Like so many women struggle with this yeah. and they're not tapping into resources. I mean, realize that it takes a long time to change your relationship with something as powerful as alcohol, as marketed to you as alcohol, as ubiquitous that surrounds you constantly where there's always an occasion to drink. I mean, this is not small stuff. This is big and important and good. And also there is a whole universe of amazing people out there who've decided that drinking isn't serving them, who used to love drinking as much as you love drinking and who are having a ton of fun and really amazing lives without it. Yeah, and, and just to, to add what you were saying, Casey, about getting in touch. Did you see that study that The Tempest did? They asked uh, 250 people in recovery. How long was it since the moments when you knew you had a problem or you were worried about your problematic drinking? How long between that moment and when you reached out and got some help? And the average, they worked out the average and it was 11 and a half years. I believe so, that tells me there's all these people kind of trapped in that place that we've been talking about. And indeed, I was there for 10 years. Yeah. So I believe that statistic they came up with. So I would say to people, you know, don't wait that long. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't wait that long, because it's definitely better once you get help, once you get resources. But I completely agree with you. Like, that's one of the reasons I want to have this conversation because there are so many things that women may experience all these signs you know why can't i manage this i'm touchy about my drinking people are commenting on it i'm waking up hungover i'm wondering where my my keys are where my wallet is all this kind of stuff and yet women feel one that they're the only one who is thinking about this struggling with this whatever they're feeling peer pressure to keep drinking, everyone around them is minimizing it and inviting them for the next happy hour. And if they even venture to say, I'm worried about my drinking, they're immediately told, don't worry about it. It's normal. You're okay. And so I think just, you know, so many people Google, you know, do I have a problem with drinking? And it's, you're having trouble with the law, you're physically shaking, you're, um, can't hold drinking in the morning. Drinking, they would say that. Right? I and never so, drank in the morning. <laughs> I know. And so many women are like, well, I'm not in that category. Yeah. Therefore, there's nothing to see here. And I did it forever. And there are so many more red flags or subtle signs along the way that, dear God, don't wait till you're drinking in the morning. And by the way, I was always like, I don't drink in the morning unless it's a mimosa and I'm out to brunch. And in oh, that yeah, case, like <laughs> that doesn't count because it's a morning drink, right? You know, it's, it's bubbly. <laughs> yeah, right. You have different drinks for different occasions, right? So after dinner, it's port. In the evening, it's wine. 
if you're at a sports game, it's beer, but that may be early afternoon, right? Like it's, you know, yeah. we always say that we don't, yeah. you know, don't drink during the day unless, right, the occasion does it. The other thing I would say that that I've seen is you just feel an increasing sense of sort of fear or unease. I called it doom. I felt kind of doomed. Mm-hmm. Um, and just this inability to relax or enjoy your life. I think that that's a, a sign if you drink that you should take a look at it because you don't even realize how much it contributes to just overall unhappiness and emotional instability and depression. Yeah. And that's why if you join a community of people, you know, on this path, it's such a relief because you realize, well, it's not just me. Then There's lots of people like me. And another thing I would say to encourage people is I know hundreds of sober people, I think, and I've never come across anyone that said, oh, I think I regret giving up drinking. Nobody, they're always, you know, saying how, how wonderful it is. And yes. it, it's not wonderful immediately. So you have to be patient. Yeah, be patient with yourself, but also just keep doing the next right thing. Keep yeah. trying, keep taking the next step. I think like every single time you try to stop drinking, if you say screw it and go back to it, there is something to learn there. There's something to learn about what your trigger was or what you weren't getting or what you're afraid of um, or, you know, where you need to take a break before you get to that point or how you might need to have prepared for that wedding or that date night or that girl's trip without it or maybe you just need more non-alcoholic beer in your life so yeah. you can yeah. substitute or non-alcoholic prosecco yeah. or something else. So yeah. There are a lot of, you know, this is a process of trial and error, but as you said, like if you tap into a community or a coach or a group, it is so much easier because you're crowdsourcing not just the encouragement and hope and solidarity but also the practical practical tips and lessons that you need yeah and and many people do struggle for a while and uh, we've got um a lady in our community she's just written a blog actually I'll, I'll send it to you and yeah she's called her blog 84 day ones that's how many times she went back to zero in in a year you know so but she kept trying she kept trying she never gave up and every time she fell, you know, the people in the community would say, well, just get back on the bus, as we call it. You know, you'll you'll be fine. Try and notch up a little bit of a longer sober stretch the next time. And gradually, you know, her sober yeah. stretch is all, all joined up and uh, she's yeah. now about four months sober. And, uh, you know, we're all so proud of her. So if you are struggling, then just keep going. Don't give up on this. It's too it's too valuable to give up on. Yeah. Absolutely. And I used to, I don't know if you did this too, but I would only do part of my drinking with other people. I would often Mm -hmm. have like a drink before a date night or going out while I was putting on my makeup, or I would go out and have two or three drinks with other people and then wouldn't want to drive home, obviously, if I drank too much. So I would come home and then open another bottle of wine and drink at home you know, the amount of rationalization that you can do make so that even to yourself, this seems like absolutely no big deal that you have a drink before you go out, two drinks went out with other people, and then more drinks when you come home. 
is amazing. But I think a sign early is if you don't do all your drinking with other people, you sort of pre-party or post-party. Yeah, because drinking alone, what you're doing is you're building a relationship with that wine. And I, I've met people, I was probably one of them, that would turn down social occasions because they'd rather be at home with their wine where mm -hmm. nobody's judging them. They're completely relaxed and can drink yeah. as much as they well, want. Well, my favorite thing was like having a party by myself on my couch yeah. on a Tuesday party night. Party for one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing also is not remembering the end of shows or conversation. Mm. That was big for me. Like my husband would always be like, we talked about this. And I was like, I literally had zero imprint on my brain. <laughs> I didn't know whether he was messing with me or whether he was honestly telling me that we talked. I honestly could not remember. And I would watch shows and have to watch them a second time because I didn't remember. So that also is, is, you know, sort of a big sign. So good job. We didn't know each other while we were drinking. Really, isn't it? We would have got up to all sorts. I'm sure. I know. I know. It's awesome. <laughs> well, I feel like we've covered a lot of things that aren't always on the standard. Do I have a problem with drinking list? Hopefully things that, that women listening to this can sort of have a light bulb go off and be like, oh yeah, that all sounds really familiar. Maybe it's time for me to take a longer break from alcohol just to see how good I feel without it instead of trying to moderate, trying to say, I'm not going to drink till Friday night. And then I'm only going to have two drinks or I'm only going to drink once a week, right? Because actually taking a complete break from it is so much easier than trying to drink once a week or only on the weekends or only two drinks. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think, imagine if they marketed a pill that you took, you know, for a while and it, it made your skin clearer, your eyes brighter, you lost weight, you had more energy, you felt happier. <laughs> People yeah. be queuing up to take it. Well, that's yeah. what sobriety does for you. Absolutely. Well, so I'm sure people listening to this conversation are going to want to get in touch with you, Janet, and learn about Tribe Sober. Will you tell us a little bit about your membership community and where people can find you? Uh, sure. Yes, it's called tribesober.com. So that's the website and all the information about the website, about the membership is there. And yeah, we have an international community and we're all on a chat group together. And, you know, that we, we, we have lovely chats. I mean, because we're in different time zones now, it, it never stops. It's 24-7. So there's always somebody there to listen, you know, if, if you're down or you're desperate for a drink and you, you need to be talked out of it. And we've, we have people that say, oh, I'm at a wedding and I've been standing here in my high heels for six hours and it's really too much. You know, we, we just we encourage and support each other. And we always say that connection is the opposite of addiction. And I really believe that. And yeah, that's our membership. And then we have workshops and coaching as well. Wonderful. Well, and thank you. So a podcast called Tribe Oh, Cyber. yes. <laughs> yes, your and, podcast is called Tribe Sober. That's one. And Casey is on it. <laughs> I know. I'm really excited for that interview to come out. That'll be wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on. And I hope anyone listening got a lot out of this conversation.
Thank you. It was a pleasure. Hey there. Before I jump off this episode, I want to remind you that you can sign up for my brand new 60-minute masterclass, Five Secrets to Successfully Take a Break from Drinking, Even if You've Tried and Failed in the Past, by going to Hello Someday coaching.com forward slash class. Now, this training will not be around forever. So if you're interested in figuring out what you've been doing up until now and why it hasn't been working and exactly what to do instead, I encourage you to take a few moments, sign up, pick a time that works for you and actually attend the session. I'll teach you how to shift your thinking so you can get out of the really shitty cycle of starting and stopping and starting again. And it's okay if you're thinking that you don't actually want to stop drinking. I promise you, if you attend this class, you will change the way you're approaching this process. So save your spot, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. And I can't wait to see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.